0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: Tazria, it's a double portion, Tazria Mitzorah, dealing with skin afflictions that also can grow on the walls of houses uh, scaly affection with oozing and loveliness like that. So, so glad you could join us. Um, Remember, we're in Leviticus, we're in the priestly manual, which which for them, they are very concerned with the the laws of purity, right? We've talked a lot in here about pure and impure. We're going to remind ourselves, pure, I'm not going to do it. Somebody tell me, talk to me about what's pure and impure. What, What is that about? What goes on? Well,
2: so ritually impure. Good. Yeah. Um,
1: so first of all, it's a ritual, right? This yeah. is not an ethical or moral... It's not bad or good. It's not bad or good. It is a ritual and, state.
0: And um, you have said the highest form is to be around a, a dead person. The course is the highest form. And it seems like all the others kind of are contaminated. Similarly, you can match it up to having
1: a brush with death. So the, the impurity is communicated, the, the most serious impurity is communicated by a corpse. We know that from Torah. And there's a theory that every single kind of ritual impurity has something to do with a brush with death. So that is a theory. It's one I like, actually. Um, that what could, what could be most, what's the most disruptive force to life Death. So it makes sense to me that, like, that would be the that that what communicates the the ritual state of dysregularity. What communicates that is some contact with death in life. Mm -hmm. That when those two forces come together, like, there's a little shock, right? And it momentarily disrupts our Mm -hmm. lives. Um, If you are not disrupted, you're pure. So pure just means regular. Impure means you are in a state of dysregularity and something has to be done about that because we don't want to bring impurity into a place of purity, right? We don't want contamination, All right. But we are going to really work at taking our 20th century, 21st century American Western like brains out uh, of the lead here and we're going to stay away from any kind of judging, there's no judging. This is not good or bad. There's, this is just how it was. This is how it is to them. And so this is the manual that tells you, here's what you've got to do when somebody's in a state of ritual impurity. Okay? Mm-hmm.
0: Is it almost like what we would have today? Here's what, if you have this, you're contagious for this many days. Correct.
1: Correct. You're if bad. you have the flu... You are, right, your kid can't go to school until, can you believe this? 48 hours after their last yeah. <laughs> symptom or fever. I'm like, what? So 48 hours after? Like, the, they, they missed two days of school when they're not sick. Like Anyway, so. That's what it reminds
0: me of.
1: Right, that's right. So because it's considered you could be contagious until that point. Exactly right. bad, bad
0: kid, good kid.
1: That's exactly right. Now, I'm not going to argue that there isn't a level At which ancient peoples thought that disease came from the divine source. For sure, that's here. For sure. For sure. For sure. That is, that's an exception. So I'm gonna, let's hold disease in a different place from ritual impurity caused by other things.
2: And the word disease itself is
1: dis-ease. And and that's exactly what we're dealing with here, is dis-ease. And for sure, there is some sense of uh, judgment around what causes tzara'at, what causes this disease. And we're going to talk about what the rabbis did with that. Okay, So uh, we're in the first triennial year This year, so we are reading the first third of every Parsha, and when we have a joint Parsha, this year we are starting at 12.1.
3: The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelite people thus, When a woman at childbirth bears a male, she shall be impure seven days. She shall be impure as at the time of her menstrual infirmity. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised she shall remain in a state of blood purification for 33 days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing nor enter the sanctuary until her period of purification is completed. If she bears a female, she shall be impure two weeks as during her menstruation, and she shall remain in a state of blood purification for 66 days. On the completion of her period of purification for either son or daughter, She shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb in its first year for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a purification offering. He shall offer it before the Lord and make expiation on her behalf. She shall then be pure from her flow of blood. Such are the rituals concerning her who bears a child, male or female. If, however, her means do not suffice for a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons one for a burnt offering and the other for a purification offering. The priest shall make expiation on her behalf, and she shall be pure. All right. So so we many things
1: that come out, we just had in Parsha Kshmini what we put in the body, right? What, what is categorized as pure and impure, what's okay and what's not okay to put in the body what we what we can eat there are many things that come out of the body that cause ritual impurity. One of them is menstrual is, is menstrual blood right and which all ancient people saw as like like seriously um, loaded right like um I mean, who bleeds for that long and doesn't die or have a wound that is a mortal wound? Like, so it's always freaked people out, um, and it's always been um, supercharged. Menstrual blood has always been supercharged, Um, so it's like, duh, right? So of course, it's going to be something that that, that contaminates regularity. You're not regular, right? You're something else is happening. Same with birth. Birth is something that. If you know anything about that, it is completely disruptive of anything that has to do with normalcy or regular life.
2: Only for about 25 years. Only for about 25 years.
1: (laughs) 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 Completely (laughs) disruptive. Um, so So childbirth is going to, of course, put one in a state of ritual otherness. You're not regular. You're not normal. You're not Nothing about that is normal. You've just brought a human being out of your body. It's like there's nothing normal about that.
2: So I know that there's
0: sort of disparagement of women, Um, but was there any thought that because they're able to transcend these potentially life-threatening events that they are elevated in some way? Um, I think... I think it's
1: always been both, right? It's always been that, yes, because women bring forth life, because they survive, you know, bleeding once a month, like because of all those things, yes, I think that they are understood and seen to be like in this place that men were not. The response of a patriarchy to that reality has been both sometimes positive, you know, when you see, you know, so, someone, a, a man, and his partner gives birth, and you can see like how moved he is, right, and how present he is, and all that. So I think I think that's been the, the true, as well as there's been a real reaction by patriarchy to that, right, and it leads to the denigration of women, right, because it, it's terrifying, right, that they're they're scary, <laughs> and and because of that they have to be kept kept down, yes.
2: Why the difference between the-
1: so uh, there are several theories. Uh, one, so if, so, okay, so let, let's let's go with this theory that the brush with death is what is ritually contaminating. So how is that true here? She's bringing forth life.
2: There's
1: blood. There's blood. There too. Okay. Many women died in childbirth. Because many, many, many women and many infants died, died in childbirth. In childbirth. And so it could be understood as a brush with death that way. She survived, the baby survived, and maybe the baby doesn't survive. But in in any case, it's seen as she's had a brush with death. It's possible, and one of the theories is that if she gives birth to a female, she's giving birth to and is ritually contaminated by a being that's also going to go through that every month and is going to bring forth life And in the ancient world, a lot of times, right? Not, not just once, right? So, you know, that, that that daughter is going to both menstruate and is going to have lots of babies. So that, so that it's a kind of a double, right? It's double boy, right? The, the, the period of, of, um, and therefore, in a way, the intensity of the, Impurity is double for a girl. And I mean, I have to think it has something to do with the fact that she's giving birth to one being who's, who's going to go through those things as well.
2: But isn't it half the time? It's two weeks instead of 30 days?
1: It's 60, six days instead of 33 days for a boy.
2: Question.
0: Um, since the mother and the child both have the brush of death, but only the mother is rendered ritually impure, not the baby. Thoughts, feelings... What
1: do you think? I don't know. Um, I think probably because a baby doesn't have much status ritually. Uh, you know, like there, the baby isn't going to walk to the temple precincts. You know, there there isn't a need, I don't think, to address what's going on with the baby. Baby's going to be with mom. You know, and it's not going to go do something on its own that's going to contaminate other people. But possibly, um, possibly it's her, it's her brush with death that's actually most um, common like that that was understood it, it was understood that she was the one who was at most risk that even though babies certainly are stillborn or whatever um, generally they don't die because of the birth right um, Maybe they
0: don't have the yet, like I, I think they
1: just don't have rituals standing yet either for for well, people I to be terribly not concerned not with it sure.
0: Did,
2: didn't they Uh, I'm sorry to have to put it this way, but didn't they not count for a week?
1: Um, I don't, that's rabbinic. Oh,
2: okay.
1: It's rabbinic that babies don't get their souls Mm. till 30 days.
2: And if they die in childbirth or within a few days, yeah. there's a difference in the burial? Correct. Right. They're Correct.
1: They're not buried it's in a Jewish cemetery.
2: Right. They're not con- sort of considered to have been.
1: Correct. Ark, so to um, speak. Which. Is that
0: still true? Still in the Orthodox
1: world, in the very Orthodox world, it's still true. Um, Where are they buried? They're buried right outside the wall, by the wall. Um, The cemetery wall. Yes. They are not buried uh, in the actual Jewish cemetery because they're not considered a full-fledged Jewish person. Um, I want to be clear that that was once upon a time a kindness to families. So we go, oh, that's horrible, right, because we have our... Our judgments, which is fine, but if we step back and look at it from the rabbi's perspective, it was a kindness to the family because so many infants died. Mm -hmm. um, You know that um, that you would be having a full funeral and a casket and and burial and all that every time that happened, and what that would have meant for women and parents, it just would have been horrible. So it was actually a way to try to spare families. We can say what we want about whether that was helpful, but but the intent was um, to not have people go through the full shiva, like everything, every time they lost an infant.
2: Two things, the ritual um, of of purification (coughs) with the bird, the turtle dove, is that also involving the mitzvah in any case, or it's just the offering? it's just the offering All right. and secondly you mentioned that the soul doesn't enter the body up until after a certain amount of days have passed is that partially the reason that so many Jews don't have a problem with abortion because the child is not really a human yet it's an appendage of the mother yeah
1: that's, that's part of that's part of yes why it's it's permissible. Um, it's also the valuing of the life of the w- mother over the life of the fetus. That that's biblical. Um, and in biblical terms, if a woman is pregnant and she's involved in a fight mm-hmm. and she miscarries as a result of the violence, the man who caused it—and it says man—I'm mm-hmm. not making that up. like <laughs> It's in the Torah. Um, he he has to pay the husband right damages. Mm-hmm. The same amount as if he had injured her thigh. It's not so it's not murder. It's, it it's not a human because it's, it's not, not a full-fledged soul. human being yet. And that's Correct. Torah. That's Torah. Torah doesn't talk about souls. Right. That's right. that's later. That's rabbinic. But but Torah understands the fetus as part of the mother, the mother part of the woman's body until crowning. Thank you.
2: Until
1: what? Crowning. Crown. Until the baby is oh, crown. is crowned. When the baby crowns. It is considered a full-fledged human being and must be treated as such.
0: You said earlier that, of course, how pregnancy changes everything, and that's what makes it the special child status. Right? But at that time, were women getting pregnant? So, so
1: birth. I would mm-hmm. say birth, right? Child birth, I don't care if you have 12 kids. <laughs> like Birth, right, is this...
0: Okay. Hugely
1: altering, yeah, pregnancy was. They were pro- probably pregnant a lot of the time. Yeah. Although, although, um, anthropologists believe that possibly one of the reasons we get so many uh, gynecological cancers now is because we are exposed to way more estrogen than they were. Uh, that that women nursed until children were three and four, so that they actually that's one of the ways they spaced their pregnancies was they continued to nurse till the child was 4, sometimes 5. Um, and and then were not menstruating during that time either. So we so they weren't just pregnant all the time. They they had a spate of years where they if they were nursing, they weren't menstruating and they weren't getting pregnant. But you we, and so that we're exposed. Period. We have a we have a period every month and are only pregnant once or twice and so that we are exposed way more uh, and that's why we're and we're, now we're seeing the symptoms right of that, that we're not designed to menstruate every month
2: right there's a lot of living proof that you can get pregnant when you're nursing
1: oh I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> but
2: there, of course of course
1: but the but generally speaking that's how women space pregnancies right is that they continue or, or, it, or the, what the result of nursing that long was that you had naturally spaced pregnancies.
0: The part of sentence three reads, "On the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall circumscribe." Is that is, is the foreskin considered uh, impure
1: um, No, uh, the foreskin is not considered to be ritually impure. It is considered to be an impediment. That it, that if you if you if we look at the metaphor that's used by one of the prophets that says, circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, right? That, that's a metaphor that's used by one of the prophets. So if we take that metaphor, cut away the thickness of your heart, clearly in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, that that is seen as something that's getting in the way, right? Cut away the thickness of your heart means get rid of it because it's preventing something. It's preventing your heart from being open, from being soft. So, so what is the foreskin preventing? Like, what what's it in the way of? Um, one theory is that the foreskin, if you when you remove the foreskin, the penis looks like it does when it is ready to be fertile. So that the foreskin is an imperfection. It's an impediment that you remove. So that then the member looks like it does when it is ready to be fertile, and that 's how it 's supposed to be it's a fer- it's for fertility and it's for life right and so and and in some cases pleasure uh, so for women um, and so that when you remove the foreskin, you bring it to the state that it was meant to be in that's That's one theory you might have your own about. About what the foreskin's in the way of, but th- but otherwise it's hard, hard to understand what that would alter in a way that is po- seems positive, right? But but I I mean I personally buy it that that makes sense to me like that was my teacher of blessed memory Dr Tikva Frymer Kensky who it was one of our first days of rabbinical school <laughs> and we didn't know each other very well and she says describe to me an uncircumcised penis. <laughs> And we're, we're kind of looking at each other. There were four lesbians in the class,
0: <laughs>
1: and someone look. I said, "Don't look at me!" Like what? So, um, yeah, it was an uncomfortable uh, situation. A but...
2: uh, seventh grade discre- discussion of this portion. <laughs> yeah, right. So we put it on the
1: board, and stuff? she. I mean, I. It really kind of. It was. I buy it anyway, because I don't. I don't know what else to do with that, right? So, all right. So that's day eight. Uh, she. Where are we? She brings her. Right. So how are you going to make this
3: relevant to today?
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, Jody. That's the challenge. Patricia will not be returning to class, obviously. Um. All right. So
3: let's go. Let's go to thirteen. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling, a rash, or a discoloration, and it develops into a scaly affection on the skin of his body, it shall be reported to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. The priest shall examine the affection on the skin of his body. If hair in the affected patch has turned white, and the affection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous affection. When the priest sees it, he shall pronounce him impure. But if it is a white discoloration on the skin of his body, which does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine him, and if the affection has remained unchanged in color and the disease has not spread on the skin, the priest shall isolate him for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine him again. If the affection has faded and has not spread on the skin, the priest shall pronounce him pure. It is a rash. He shall wash his clothes, and he shall be pure. But if the rash should spread on the skin after he has presented himself to the priest and been pronounced pure, he shall present himself again to the priest. And if the priest sees that the rash has spread on the skin, the priest shall pronounce him impure. It is leprosy.
2: What verse are you on? We had enough. <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: up to nine. We're on verse nine. All right. Um, okay. So it is. It is sarat, right? It is sarat. So um, so then we're going to go on and get more detail about what. If it's if this, if that, if this, if that, if it stays stationary, if it if it's inflammation, like if this, it goes on and on and on to help diagnose whether or not it is in fact Sara'at. So we know this is not leprosy. We know that. We know that this is not leprosy. That everyone chooses to leave the translation as leprosy because we still have such a visceral reaction to that word. Um, and so we, they leave it. They know it's not leprosy because leprosy doesn't get better. It doesn't go away, mm-hmm. and, and in every case that we get here, it goes away. Right? Eventually, right. it goes away, and then the priest proclaims them pure, and then they do all the rituals that have to happen to come back into the camp. Right? I so they're
2: the
1: right, and then we have it. We're going to get here on the wall, and we're going to get it on cloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know it's not leprosy, uh, but, but because we still have such a, a reaction to that. Word, th- would they leave it as leprosy because we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's impetigo, is it psoriasis, is it? You know, we, we don't have any idea what it is. You know, and um, shingles, and right? Who they and they didn't From know. So, but if it can be on the wall. Fungus. Right, obviously, it's mold, mm-hmm. fungus there and on cloth, right? So probably something like that, um, and they they equate that with what happens on the skin, right? We know that those are different things, but for them, it's tsara out of the body or tsara out of the walls. You know, it's the same thing, um, and it had for them a very serious stigma, very
2: serious stigma. It's interesting too. They use the word affection, which I know is affect, when we say affliction.
1: So the translation there is interesting, too. Mm-hmm. So it, what it, is the Hebrew word? Uh, have to, affection. You have to find it for me. Uh, if the affection... <laughs> 17, behine... Nega. nega um, injury. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Nega is, is an injury. Um, so... Um, so it had a very serious stigma attached mm-hmm. to it, and there's different things that have to be done for the person versus the house, right? in terms of treating sarat. Uh, but because it goes away, we know that it's it can't be what we know as Hansen's disease. Um, and it's not like it's not terminal, but probably it was frightening enough in its disfiguring of what a normal arm or whatever face looks like that it had that same ability to like strike terror right into people so and the other thing that is important is that the person isn't like left (laughs) like you know on a you know a leper colony like they're they're left there right the, so this is it's very clear that they are outside the camp so they don't contaminate the rest of the camp but the priest goes to them the priest keeps coming to them to check them right so the priest is not saying okay you know you're out there until right it, he he takes care of them like he he goes to them to make a house call right house to call. to check on them and see uh, where they're at with this zaraa business right and then they are Always welcomed back into the camp. We don't get anything that says, "And should it be t- permanent, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They shall live in the city called Saratville, right?" Mm-hmm. There, there's no reference to that whatsoever. So it seems that that always it would have been something that ended, and
3: that they came back from. Um, this seems to be the only. Is this the only thing we call a disease that has this kind of treatment? Is this the only thing? I mean, it's not. A lot of other things happen to people. Right. Other than skin things, I don't remember any other quote what we call a disease in Torah.
1: I don't think I don't think I can think of one. We I mean, we see.
3: Cancer, no, but I mean this this is singled out.
1: Yeah. Like it doesn't say if someone has a fever.
3: Right, right, right. And the cancer would be impure. I mean, that is
0: not described...
2: Well, they didn't have that word, I don't think. I
3: they don't have
1: have an right, issue I don't, yet. I don't, I can't think of another disease that right. we're told about until we, we, we are told about them, but we're not given instructions about them, right? Like we know about boils. So something
3: clearly special
1: about it. This. It is. We get hemorrhoids, we right. get boils, we know about cataracts, right? But those are not, but they're not impurities. They're, they're not discussed in terms of well, rituals, purity and impurity. Well, there's other things that um, I mean, they, and, and look, there, there might have been other things in in this category that are not recorded right that we don't have Mm -hmm. that we've lost that that's possible but clearly this one was so visceral their response to this was so strong that right it stays um
0: I like to have the priest has to go to them because the message for me for us is we need to go and continue to check correct it's our job to go check on
1: them correct um, and and that is a serious serious statement right that that it is our job to know how people are doing and that it was the priest right the person who was most responsible for maintaining ritual purity and impurity that's who goes to their house or you know to where they're hanging out um, so it's very clear that that it wasn't understood that the priest should should guard himself against contact with it, right? That, um, that he had to go. It had to be the priest that diagnosed it. It, you know, it doesn't say take them to the specialist, to the Tsaraat specialist, right? It's, it's Dafka exactly the priest.
2: Better, George? Is the pulp there called physicians? I mean, was it medical people of any kind? Because
0: yes.
1: We, yes. So there was definitely an understanding of people who were healers.
0: Yeah, so did they go also?
1: We don't know. Don't know. Because this, since this is the manual for the priests,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we don't. maybe that's why it's not here, or it may have been assumed that this disease was different, that the underlying cause of this disease was different than what causes other diseases, and it has to do with, um, with the spiritual realm. And so it had to be the priest who was the practitioner who would deal with it.
2: There were midwives... Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, Following up on what Jody said, isn't visiting the sick, B'korn limb considered one
0: of the most important mitzvot?
1: Absolutely. Um, Actually, in the Talmud, it says that the Mm Shekhinah sits at the head of the bed of the sick person. Mm -hmm. So that actually when we go to visit a sick person, we're actually sitting in the presence of the Shekhinah. So they took it that seriously, right? That you're going to visit God when you go to visit a sick person. The other thing the rabbis say is um, in the Talmud is that they have a lot of formulas and one of them is like sleep is a 60th of death, right? So they have a lot of these 60ths. Um, And one is that every time you go to visit a sick person, you alleviate one 60th of the illness. So if you think about that, then if you flip it around the other way, if you don't go visit someone who's sick, you are responsible now for a 60th of that illness that you would have alleviated had you gone. So it's a pretty serious statement about how they understood Bikor Chalim visiting the ill. It wasn't just like a nice thing to do. Like it was considered vital to the person's you know ability to recover and there's lots of stories in the Talmud about um you know a rabbi who was on his you know sick bed and another rabbi come. I mean, really really they took this very very seriously
0: also it's a priority when you like Jody said in terms of how important it is this person is such a high priority that the priest is going right it's, they're not spending it it's up there with whatever the, the, the priest has that are all high priority.
1: Right, which is a really good point, right? That, that this person's Sara'at situation warrants the priest leaving the sacred precincts, leaving all the business of keeping God and the Israelites in, you know, good standing together. He leaves all of that to go check on what's happening with this person. I mean, it's a very big statement you know, about what's what's important, right? Right. And
3: um, I think of the Pope. You see that, I've seen it on TV, where the Pope actually made a point of publicly with coverage going to wash the feet of the sick or something at that point. Probably comes from the same type of tradition.
1: E- yes and no. <laughs> I think there's more of an instinct in Christianity mm. towards towards that kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. whereas for the priest, like, I I don't know, I don't know that there wouldn't have been a great celebration of the high priest going Mm -hmm. to feed the poor or wash their feet, right? My point about the
3: Pope is, I think it's more for example. Correct. Than it is. Correct.
1: Um, But here, there definitely was a sense of, this is important enough Mm -hmm. that the top guy Mm -hmm the top God guy, right? And God was the boss. God was the king. It wasn't just, it wasn't, you did everything and then there was God. We know this, right? It's a, it's a theocracy. So God is the ruler. So he leaves the service of the ruler to go deal with, you know, Tim Jones who has a case of Tzara. also talk
0: about just how bad the is. That it's not that, oh, you know, it's so, it's so important to visit the sick that up comes in a priest is that this disease is so bad that it, you know it requires an equal and opposite response to, get, to make sure that before you come back inside
2: yeah, everybody they are better
1: right and I don't think those are mutually exclusive right like to say this is a really serious situation but the, but the big guy himself is going to go you know tend to it and figure it out could be that's how serious it is, um, but you could easily have that interpretation and say, so therefore, they're going to stay there and only when they're sure it's gone do they come back. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I still think it says something that, that the top guy goes out and checks and sees what's happening with them,
3: right? Well,
2: what it says to me is, it's interesting, they didn't blame the person who got Sirach for having be, which can easily happen.
1: And so I wonder about that actually I, I wonder some about we don't get anything about th- about the response of other people to that person. do you know what I mean I wonder the rabbis clearly take it in the direction that the person has done something oh, really? to warrant sarat oh. <laughs> um, and so and I, I have to believe there was some level of that stigmatizing um, we just don't get any description about how other people treated that person but I I I have to believe there had to be some something so where did the rabbis
3: take that of thinking that
1: funny you should ask Bert. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to see what's on the board exactly <laughs> um, so the rabbis are very troubled by this parsha. the rabbis are very troubled by they're not troubled by purity because we st- in the Orthodox community, they still live with the laws of purity and impurity, family purity, right? Um, Orthodox couples don't touch while she's menstruating and for seven days afterwards. So, um, so they still live with those uh, ritual laws. So they don't have a problem with purity and impurity. They have a problem with how significant this seems to be, and how could it just happen? They they don't they don't like that. They don't like that it could just happen. And, and it's so stigmatizing. It's so serious that they're like, and, and, and they're asking the question too, what does it mean for us? Like, how does this have anything to do with us? So they look at this word, the person who has the disease, what is the disease called? Tzara'at. Tzara'at is the disease. The person who has the de- disease is the mitzorah
2: so does it relate to Tzor
1: to what, what? To 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 travel. Travel. So yeah. to yeah. so Tzor th- so they would the love they would love to go there
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> right that's a place the rabbis would love to go that that there's a connection between Sara'at and Sirius, right? They would love that. Right. So I'm sure somewhere that's been put forward, right? As an explanation. Um, but they get very creative about this. So the Mitzorah, the person who has it, the rabbi say, don't read Mitzorah, read instead motzira So what is Lehotzi? The Hebrew verb Lehotzi. Elu hotzi to take out so don't read Mitzorah. instead read motzi ra the one who brings out what's ra evil badness. badness evil the one who brings forth evil so then the rabbis are like well what evil is it That that they bring out. It can't just be any evil, right? Because this is Sarat we're dealing with. This is big time. So they say, actually, this is a short form for Motzi Shem Ra, the one who brings Motzi, the one who brings out. Bad name. bad name. Bad name. So is that like a gossip? Yes. So the rabbis say this is Lashon Hara. This is people who bring a bad name to other people. This is about gossip.
2: <laughs>
1: All of this is about gossip. This is about people who talk about other people. And that is what the Mitzvah is is the motzi ra, the one who brings forth bad? How it's about motzi shemra, who brings forth a bad name. And the rabbis take this extremely seriously. They, the rabbis say, if and this is all in the Talmud, like it's all there as part of halacha, it's part of like Jewish understanding of what's legal, what's what's the law. And they say the law is if you embarrass somebody, it's called halbanat panim, the whitening of the face, because people blanch when they're I mean, I know I think of it as turning red, but, but people just kind of blanch. Um, and so if you whiten someone's face, it's akin to murder. It's as if you have killed them. And because you can't undo it. You can't undo that damage. There's nothing you can do to rectify it. Cause even once that situation's over, they will never recover from, from that moment. They will always carry that moment with them. Uh, and so they're very serious, the rabbis, about speech. And about how we talk and what we say. And most of what we say is gossip. Most of our speech is gossip. Pay attention <laughs> this week. Just pay attention. I'm serious. When you pay attention, it's, it's amazing how much of our speech is about other people. Most of it is gossip.
2: And they would say also you shouldn't even say good things. About Correct. Your people right. That's right. Then you're tempted to say but. That's right. Cuz if I say that was
1: a beautiful color Judith Beck was wearing this morning, but somebody else could be tempted to say I hate that color. <laughs> <laughs> and like she's too old to wear that color. Like right it, whatever it is that people have as their garbage, it's an invitation for it to come out. Right? Right? If you're the person if you're not to say it, you're not supposed to say it to the person if it's going to hurt the person. No. If I don't like her shirt, I'm not supposed to say that. Yeah. Of no. And I'm I'm supposed to say I love that shirt, no matter what I think. So lying. I'll choose that one. <laughs> well, I do love the color. That's why I said um, lying in that sense is permitted.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: The rabbis permit lies, Little white lies
1: that are to
3: preserve the peace. If the only I uh, think if the only function of telling the truth would be to hurt somebody, then you're I mean all brides are beautiful. Correct. And all B'nai Mitzvah kids have great voices and did very well. Right. Do these pants make me look fat?
2: There is no only answer one to answer, to no answer, answer to that
1: question. Absolutely not. But isn't gossip important for the establishment
2: of the social network? Explain. The people with gossip, people know the rules are, you know, like guess a form of of setting up rules and, and the
0: social norms and um, allowing people to
2: to interact and in even the community is even bigger because the gossip, you know, establishes the rules of engagement.
1: So I think there's probably a difference between gossip and speech that is meant to bring people closer together. So the rabbis would just, they would like us not to be talking about each other very much at all. You can still interact with people. You can, you can ask about Mrs. Goldberg's health, mm-hmm. right? Because maybe I'll bring her chicken soup later. That would not be considered gossip. Right, because because the intention is I need information to establish that social network, right, to strengthen that social network. Um, if I say, and did you hear about her son? No wonder she's sick. <laughs> right, that, and that's where, and it's very easy to go that next step yes I saw her yesterday that house of hers I don't know how she lives right so we go really easily and really quickly and habitually to gossip which which actually it's not even gossip really I think what what they would say is slander
3: Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's true. It do, it, it, no, if it's it true, matter. it
1: has absolutely no bearing on whether or not it's slander. Like, that's right. our English isn't in the room. law term. You shouldn't be talking about somebody who's in the room.
0: So, um, oh, yeah. oh I, I mean, like, we're you, how are you? I'm not saying, how is Mrs. Goldberg? Is she still well? If I wanted to know that, I would call Mrs. Goldberg. You,
1: you could do that. But I, but I think it's not considered right. slander to ask about her health if your intention is to right. go help her.
0: So so is part of it like elevating the conversation because if you're not yes. if you're not gossiping then you're doing other, first of all you're getting you're getting to where you need to be which is really hard at that time mm-hmm. and secondly you're elevating the conversation and learning things that actually matter. Or, or
1: yes. So Miriam that's a great point that Miriam makes. That that is kind of the point. The rabbis say we spend so much time talking about this about other people and all this crap we don't spend time talking about what's important. Right? We don't we don't talk Torah. We should be talking Torah. All what? the time. All, all the, time. All that's the time. time. That's what we should be doing all the time. Yes, Margo.
3: Okay, rabbi. Rabbi, um, a number of years ago when Cheryl Rabbi Cheryl it, Lewis, was a rabbi and on the first day of Rosh Hashanah she spoke on the subject uh, for her sermon for that day. Uh, later that day, I was meeting Gary Corman at Martin's Sisters' house. Martin was my second husband. And when we got out of, I got out of the car and I met him there. And he got out. Of beach, he was he was invited to uh, Martin's Sisters' house for dinner that because they know they know each other and so forth. So Gary says to me, um, "What did Rabbi Lewart?" Speak about because I went to the synagogue and he was in the corner and was at uh, Wadsworth So I said, "Oh, she spoke about how gossip is something that we really, you know, should avoid and, and He said, "What were we talking about?" <laughs> I ran into the same thing. I was talking to one of my one of my grandchildren when they were in their teens, and we went through this whole thing about Loshon Hara and. There, I forget what it was, but there are ten different things. And she looked at me, she said, well, but at school there'd be nothing to talk about. And, that, and and it's particularly true of teenagers and kids who spend so much...
0: Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, yeah. all that is, is gossip. <laughs>
2: people
0: have like, everything that we build our free time, empty time with. It's pretty much just about what other people are doing. And if you can spend however much of little time you want on it, and you're done. And it's like empty calories; nothing's been elevated.
1: You've got nothing uh, from it. There is one however- except there is some evidence that people are getting depressed from it because we judge our insides by other people's outsides, right? So we judge that we're sitting home doing nothing when they're doing this fabulous, right? And and that kids are going, they're really kids. You know, young adults are really suffering from this sense of I'm a loser because I'm not doing all those fun things they're doing this Saturday night. I'm sitting home alone and... um, and so it's a real
3: it's a real issue. I believe yes. there is a time when you're obligated to talk about somebody else, and that is to save a third party. Yeah. So, for example, I had, if I had dealings with person A, who was a crook and I knew it and I could prove it and person B comes to me and says, oh, I'm about to do a deal with person A, I would actually be obliged yes. to warn that person.
0: Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But that, I think, is the only case. Barbara? I would
2: like to get back to what you said about the
0: rabbis permitting lies that bring, you said, peace. Now, can you just expand right on Um
1: They point to the example of Aaron that... Uh, he was a rodeif shalom, he was a pursuer, a chaser after peace. And that Moses and uh, Miriam have an episode, right? She talks, she talks about Moses and she's stricken with leprosy. And then she's healed. Moshe prays for her and she's healed. And there's a midrash that says they weren't speaking. You know, they, most, Moses and Miriam weren't speaking to each other that it was, it was a very serious rupture in the relationship and so Aaron went to Miriam and said Moses is, feels really badly about everything that's happening and he really wants to make up and he went to uh, Moses and said Miriam feels really badly about everything that's happening and she really wants to make up and they made up and so for the rabbis that's an example of Aaron was not telling the truth but it was a lie that was to preserve the peace that was to, to beyond preserve. It was to Great. to create peace. Wasn't it, wasn't
3: the story of when uh, uh, Sarah was she she laughed and God lies. Remember when when uh,
0: Sarah lied and said she didn't laugh and said I didn't oh, laugh. So she didn't laugh, and she, and she actually she did because God didn't lies. want
3: Abraham to. Right.
1: No, it's that God leaves that part oh, out, out when he says ambition. something. When God, when the character God says something, God leaves out the part where she says, <laughs> what, I'm going to get pregnant with a guy that old, right? And so, um, yeah, so God didn't want Abraham to be offended or to hurt his feelings. And so God leaves that out. I recently had conversation with yeah. Were you
0: going to say something? Yep. Yeah. I was just going to ask... Um, be clear. Is this particular section referring
1: to God, or are we saying that all impurity comes back to God? So it's rabbinic. So this it's way after okay, the, the biblical period, right? This, so the, I'm just I'm just lifting it up, a because how much time do we want to spend <laughs> <laughs> in, in the parsha? But um, but to say to show that the rabbis took kind of the seriousness of Tzara'at and applied it to speech, right? It was speech was that important to them that I mean, other traditions would take it somewhere else wouldn't they like you know other interpretation. If, they, if other traditions were trying to bring this whole business into their current time and what does it mean for us I can imagine a lot of places they'd go sin sinful thoughts lustful thoughts that's what this is really about right but where did the rabbis go the rabbis go to it's about speech they took it they took speech that seriously In all of this that we're you know analyzing or looking into like
0: the meaning of I mean, is this particular? Because I know you've spoken this before. If you wouldn't mind just putting it into context again, it seems historically, are we, is what we're speaking about the organization of society, the centralizing of of, of, of society beyond just your, you know, who's in your you, which was the stories that we had earlier on. It seems like this is about centralizing kind of power. So, or a kind so of organization of society has a storm of meaning from this.
1: Both, right? So, yeah, so this book is different from the stories about who's in our tent, right? Because those are the, the patriarchal narratives. Those are our foundational stories about the founding family, right? Our tribe. Um, this is a manual. Leviticus is a manual for the priests. So we're getting the technical details of this, this, the central um, agency <laughs> for maintaining the right ritual relationship between God and the people of Israel
0: so it's a very lay comment to that if after we don't have the priesthood like this and all the like you we were saying a few weeks back Isaiah and all the rabbis that challenge the priesthood that what is the relevance then of studying what the priest has got to do if evolution, in an evolution we move so far from that
1: so that they often metaphorize this. They'll talk about the altar of the heart and what we offer on the altar of the heart, right? So, so they often turn it into metaphor. Um, for them, for the early rabbis, this was all they had left was reading it, right? That once it was gone, they were devastated that it was gone, and and all they had left was to read about it. Um so that's originally some of the instinct was that's the only way we, we stay connected to it is to is to read it and then it was considered they said it was considered as if you did it. If we read it, it's as if you did it. That's why in every single morning service there is a whole section of sacrifices, describing sacrifices. Because it was considered that if we read that section every morning it's as if we are still participating in the temple.
0: Even though it's been given more to the people.
1: Than the people. Right. Cause, because it's been, it wasn't given to the people. It, it, history caused it. The Romans caused it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, wait, but it, you're
0: saying in the morning service, then, if you're reading it, as oh, as, oh, oh, you right. don't have to be the priest. To be, it's as if you're doing it as if the priest.
1: It's as if you're participating in the system that fell. Mm-hmm. Because they still kind of, even though they were pushing against it, on some level, they still glorify it. right? It's a complicated relationship they have, we have, um, to, to some of this. Um, but how do we take it into our time? Right, that's, that's an excellent question. So, so, right, so uh, this is how uh, Larry Kushner brings it to our time. We seem to have lost the ability to discern the difference between being in a state of ritual purity and being in one of ritual defilement. Indeed, we have even forgotten that defilement comes from contact with death. But the categories are still there. All we have to show for our sophisticated amnesia is a nagging sense of discomfort and contamination. The Bible is, of course, keenly aware of these modes of being, and here prescribes a ritual for returning to a state of purity from the inevitable contamination to which we are all condemned. It grows on the walls of our bedrooms like mold and in the interiors of our psyches an alien growth. It's immune to cleansers and medicines because it is not evil dirt or illness, but it's still there. Isn't that what organized religion is supposed to do? With water and blood and birds, hyssop and cedarwood and sacrifice or whatever, to make our houses fit again for habitation. Just saying. <laughs> um, Rabbi Harold Schulweis. Uh, talks about the fact that the rabbis right, take this to be motzi shemra, that this is about slander. And he says, The tongue is to be watched, for the tongue in rabbinic tradition is likened to a sharpened arrow. A libelous word is not like a sword. When a victim begs for mercy, a drawn sword can be returned to its sheath. But what can you do with an arrow once it leaves the bow? Call it back? So it is with libel and gossip. The Talmud, Baba Mitzia, explains that a monetary wrong can be repaid, but the loss of a reputation is beyond reparation. Therefore, an insult to the character of a human being is worse than stealing property from them. Words are powerful. They are to be used with wisdom and sensitivity. Rabbi Shimon in the second century said, do not comfort your friend while the dead rise before him, which means do not be precipitous in comforting the bereaved allow his grief to be expressed. And there are several examples that he gives from the Talmud about um, speaking and speech. She says, Words form our most intimate ecology. They surround us. The walls have ears. All this was before television. With the advent of television, the walls have mouths. We have invited hundreds of mouths into our living room. Television sets fill our homes, and on or off prime time, nothing is sacred and nothing is private. No private parts, no private thoughts. On the contrary, the spotlight focuses upon infidelity, perversion, indiscretion, vulgarity, obscenity. They fill our living rooms with relentless exhibitionism and voyeurism. So if we take a minute to think that now the walls have mouths and we think about the quality of what comes out of those mouths it's an interesting and i am a big fan of tv i'm a big fan of tv so i'm not i'm not one of those people who's going to leap to right you know how horrible it is i do think it we take we don't spend much time thinking about what it is we marinate in now right you know you go home and it's no longer you're with the people you're listening to the people you who you live with now we go home and and our house is filled with the sound of whoever, right, yelling whatever, right, or um, I think about reality TV, right, how popular reality TV is these days, and if you think about reality TV, most of it is about people having conflict, right, it's about, it's about a voyeuristic kick that we get from watching people fight, right, or or they're idiots, and you know, you're like, and you're watching it because you think they're idiots, um, so that we get to feel... Somehow superior, you know, looking in on their lives and um, and i'm i 'm just keenly aware when we come to this kind of a partial and come to this kind of a conversation i 'm so aware that we've we've allowed ourselves to be bathed in like like he says vulgarity and obscenity and um, and I think about the you know the news. <laughs> Right, the the anger, the vitriol, the and and I'm like and and we consider that normal now. That we are in that all the time. It's just and, and our children are being raised in that all the time. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but my young person is never far, mm-hmm. never far from that device. Right? There's just always something, always something coming in, always. Um, so. So uh, Rabbi uh, Shulwai says, Our homes are oases in a wilderness of vituperation. On the posts of our houses are affixed a mezuzah, a parchment of words, which includes the verse, all these words which I command you this day, you shall teach them diligently to your children when you rise up and when you lie down. The home, the haven of the heart and soul, must resist the incursion of mass culture so filled with violence, enmity, derision, name calling. We must be careful that we do not catch the virus of incivility, that we speak with each other, parents and children, husbands and wives, with kindness. We are fragile human beings, and words can shatter us. We are a people committed to unity, and words must remind us
0: of our kinship. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California.